Welcome to the Butcher Barbecue Podcast, World Headquarters, Wellston, Oklahoma. The Butcher Turn Pitmaster, your host, David Bosca. Boy, howdy, folks. We are on a roll now. Here we go for number two of this season. Yeah, we're going to roll out another one. I wanted to take a little time. I've got to travel this weekend. I'm headed to Tennessee to the Owl's Nest Barbecue Store for a store promotion. This guy, Steve Ray out there, owns a store, has been a longtime friend. I met him originally at the Jack Daniels um, cook-off many years ago. He does a Saturday morning um, podcast, video cast, um, goes live every Saturday. Um, he has a beautiful-looking store. We're going to go out, um, like I said on my post on Facebook, we're going to shake some hands, um, do a seminar, cook a little meat, answer some questions, and just enjoy the weekend out there. So if you're in that area, if you're not in that area, make a road trip. Let's get on out there so everybody can can see each other and, and just be barbecue family. Well, I was wanting to talk with one of our brand ambassadors today, but weather is not cooperating with our internet. I live more of a rural area of the country here in Oklahoma, and there's just not a lot of great internet bandwidth, and when we get a cloud cover, well, it goes away, that little bit we do have. So I've got just a few things I'll go over here. I took some notes anyway, um, so I'll go over a little bit. And so you're going to get to have another podcast of just listening to me talk. I, I hope that doesn't bore you too much, but I think my topics are, are pretty good. We're going to go over when should I slice my brisket? I get asked that all the time. At what point um, should I slice it? We're going to go over that. And I've been asked by one of the our listeners that asked me on Facebook, sent me a question, what is the difference in each of the Bird Booster products? Um, so I'll, I'll go over that. And then here recently, we've added a couple new teams, guys and gals, to our brand ambassadorship program. So I'm going to go over a little bit of the program also. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's just start with that. How about that? Let's just get that out in the open and, and discuss what brand ambassadors are for Butcher Barbecue. Now, being a brand ambassador, to me, may be different than other companies. We don't throw just a, a pallet of product out there. We ask our people that have applied or, or names have been given to me. Well, let's just start with that, the application process. I don't have a true application process for this program. What this program is to me is whenever I see a great cook, a backyard cook, a comp cook, someone that is just active on social media, I, I reach out to them, and, and a lot of these folks that are help flying our flag, they have been given, their names have been given to me by other ambassadors. They understand what I ask, what I ask for, I should say. Um, the best thing I can say is, is it is a marketing program. I am in business. I must see return for my dollars. I'm not donating to the cause for you to go cater, to make money. 
I'm not donating to the cause for you to go cook a competition. I am giving product, discounting product, things of that nature so that you can help advertise for us. That's it in a nutshell. Now, how do I make those decisions? Let me explain it to you this way. Take a simple bottle of rub, okay? This is what I explained to all of the brand ambassadors. We retail it for an average, it's around $10 a bottle. You know, I got to pay for that bottle and that product and the shipping to me and the investment of buying several pallets and setting in my warehouse. So I'm tying up a lot of dollars. Then we've got to get it shipped to them. So there is a lot of money tied up in that one $10 bottle that we retail it for. And I'm just throwing this out there. Some are more, some are less. But my cost is a lot. So do you, let's say I give you $300 worth of product. Do you truly understand you're going to have to turn about $3,000 worth of sales for me to cover that $300 I gave to you? Let that sink in for just a minute. Now, in all of your cooking, your social medias, how much are you returning back to this business or any business that say, are they getting a return for their donation to you? I mean, there's some companies that will turn a lot more profit. Take a grill company. They sell a grill for $1,000. That's There's a lot more margin in that than a $10 bottle of rub or a $6 bottle of barbecue sauce. So if you have to look at it this way, think of how many cases have to turn just to cover your, I'm sorry, just to cover my cost to you. I have yet to make any money to bring it in, to restock to repay. So I have to use it as a business and I use it as an advertising factor. So I set aside X amount of dollars a year for advertising. And then in that advertising is some of that is YouTube advertising, Facebook advertising, and brand ambassadorship. We add on We've had a couple that says that they're getting completely out of the cooking and they fell off. So we do add back. And I also look at it as if this is working for me, I might add some extra throughout the year. But an actual application for the brand ambassadorship, I don't have a form out there per se. I don't have something on social media to where I'll open it up and go, okay, folks, I need... Um, names of those that want to be an ambassador. I've done that once and the flood of emails I got was more than I could actually go through. So when I ask or whenever I am asked, how do I get on the brand ambassadorship? It's, I'm not saying I'm selective, but I have to look at it in a business aspect. What What I ask for is not a lot, just a few posts a week on your social media. That's all I ask. And that you picture our product. I don't think that's asking too much for for product. 
So in what I look at to determine who I would like to be on it, there is a lot of factors that go into that. And a few of the factors, but not all of them, but a few of the factors I look at is, now this is going to step on some toes and it might hurt some feelings. But folks, this is a fact here because I have to run this as a business. If your Facebook account has... 150 people following it and you make a nice post and it's a good picture and it's a food um, and 7, 8, 10, 12 people like it or one or two share it, that's not a lot of traction for our product. I like to see teams and or backyard teams and or social media presence that when they make a post, there is 30 to 50 to 150 reactions, post or repost, shares, comments, and that it's not the same 10, 15 people that are seeing it every time that you make a post. I know that is, well, it may be a little hard to understand for some, but If you're looking at wanting a brand ambassadorship from us, other companies may look at it totally different. But for us, I look at it as you're helping take place of me making posts and doing that. So I need distribution of product. And that is your social medias, your Instagrams, your TikToks, your YouTubes. We've got people in other places that don't make posts, but make videos. Um, So I just need a larger audience for it to be seen. So if you want to ask me about brand ambassadorship, take a step back, look at what you've already posted. And if you're posting once a month, that's not near enough to build your own audience. I need you to look at it and build your audience over the summer, and let's look at something maybe this fall or the first of next year. I think that's the best thing, and go to work. Um, Roundabout, you're kind of um, representing us. I want to hang my hat right beside someone that has done a little homework, that has helped work and build his own presence on the social media. If you're wanting just flat-out brand sponsorship, For you, you're barking up the wrong tree here. I'm not just giving product away, um, and I never have just given product away just because you're in the top 10 of something or you've been cooking five years and you've won three grands. That's not the way I look at it. I've got folks that we are working with and brand ambassadorship. It's in our, we call it our family, our brand ambassadorship and family that don't even cook competitions, but they're really good people. They have a good social media. They hang their hat in the right places. Um, They keep a good clean post going. And so I don't mind at all being a part of that. And that's just really important to a business. I hope everyone understands exactly what I'm talking about. And if you own a business and you want 
to jump in on this, let's jump on a podcast and we'll talk about how you do your sponsorships. Maybe I'll learn something from you and it might work for me. I don't know, but I'm all willing to see other ways of um, doing this. All right. That's enough for brand ambassadorship. Um, Basically, you don't apply. um, And that's, that's what I look for. All right. Next question. What's the difference in my bird booster injections? I didn't say brine. I'm talking about just the injections. So let's start at the top of the heap. We have our bird booster original. The bird booster original is a chicken base phosphated. We went over phosphate in the last podcast. Is a chicken base phosphate. Tongue twister. A chicken base phosphated injection that has a butter flavor added. Okay? Did you catch all that? We reckon, and so the flavors you get is just that. It's a deep, rich chicken flavor with some butter back on the back end taste of it. The next one I'm going to talk about is our Bird Booster Honey Injection. It is basically our original with the same great powdered honey that we use on our honey rub, sorry, in our honey rub, is in this injection. It's mixed up the same as far as for your end whenever it's being rehydrated, but it has a chicken stock. It has some dried butter in it. Butter buds is what it's called. It's got phosphate, and it has dried honey to give it just an undertone of sweetness. It's not large, but if you had the two side by side, you will definitely know that there is a sweetness to it, and that's what it's for. And that's I don't want it to be the outfront flavor. I don't want you to be able to touch the chicken and go, oh, that's sticky sweet. That's not what the purpose of it is. It's to give it an internal sweetness of flavor. The next one is our Bird Booster Chipotle flavor. The Chipotle flavor is a lot like the original, also with the same three bases with a dry Chipotle powder in it. And this powder does not make the chicken red on the inside. You can possibly see some of the Chipotle particles in there, But it doesn't make it super spicy. A lot of people are concerned or worried that it's going to make it hot and unedible. No, it's got just a good chipotle flavor without a lot of chipotle heat so that when you cook with it, your your spouse, your kids, everybody can enjoy the same meal without you having to do two items. But that's kind of the flavor of the chipotle is, isn't large, but it is there as a flavor. The fourth product that we have in the Bird Booster line is our rotisserie flavor. Personally, that's my favorite. That's my go-to one. And what that is, is it started out as trying to mimic, like you see in all the big box stores, that rotisserie chicken. I was trying to mimic that flavor But what I ended up doing was using some of the flavors we got from our open pit pork injection as the flavors for this rotisserie. 
It does have phosphate. It does have the chicken stock, but it and it does have a few um, butter flavor back end notes on it. But it, that's almost undetectable with the other flavors of the rotisserie part. I hope that explains it. I appreciate the question. Oh, well, let me let me go over this real quick. It all comes in a twelve ounce square canister, just like other injections, with a scoop in it, and the scoop is a quarter cup. Now, when you get the canister, be aware, because I get asked this question, hey, I got my bird booster and it's not but half full. Is this incorrect? No, that's a two pound canister and we put 12 ounces in that two pound canister. It gives us room for the scoop, but it's also a purchasing power thing. When we buy uh, canisters, we're going to buy one for all of our injections and use it across the board instead of buying just a smaller one for just the bird booster. So it will be less product in the canister, and we it is designed that way for that reason. It's just because when we purchase, we can purchase better buying all one. All right, now let's get on into brisket or beef slicing. Hold on just a second. Pardon me. I'm going to get a drink of this great coffee. Pardon me there, but that sure tasted good and it was calling my name. Now, this works for steak. So obviously it will work for smoked brisket. And I am asked every month, sometimes weekly, but let me explain to you how I tell people um because the question is always, when is the right time for me to cut my brisket? And I'm not sure if they're meaning it in two ways, but I always end up back to this explanation because some folks are asking on a competition timeline, when should I cut my brisket to get it turned in? Well, to me, that's a really easy one. You're going to have to do one practice cook. Back time it. If you want to hit the middle of the window, back time it. If it takes you a minute to walk, so now it's at, let's say, 120, or 129. It takes you four minutes to get your box put together. Now you're at 125. Let's say you want your, it takes... You soak your brisket, let's say, in an au jus, and you want it to soak for five minutes. Well, now you're at 120, and it's going to take you, say you're very careful with your slicing, and it takes you six or seven or eight minutes to slice it. Okay, so now back time that um, to, let's see, is 120. Now we're, we're back at 112. I think we was at 120. Let's say we was at 120. And now we're back at a, a 112. Um, and you're just getting cleaned up and ready for brisket. And you've already, you've already turned your pork in. Well, now you need to get started. But let's say you want that brisket to cool just a little bit. Um, do you open that up before you get ready to slice it? Open it up before you do the pork? So... That's what I mean by back time it. Um, but now what's the proper, that's the trick word. What is the proper time to uh, slice your brisket? For me, that's not a timing, it's a temperature. 
And I've explained this to chefs before, and they understood it, but they never looked at it this way. The proper temperature for slicing your brisket, which also works if you're a a steak cooking, um, is when the inside and the outside of that brisket is at the same temperature. Soak in for just a minute. Inside and outside is the same temperature. I am not meaning the outside world, the uh, inside of your trailer temperature, the ambient um, room temperature of your trailer, your back porch when you're slicing for a backyard cook. I am talking the surface temperature of that meat. I'm going to keep saying brisket because that's what I'm talking about. And this inside internal temperature of that brisket. When those two are as close as they can get, that's the best time to slice. Now, why? Why would that be? I can give you that answer and you're good. Just just get it that way. Let's say you're holding your brisket and it's at 165 degrees and you open it up and three minutes, it's still going to be at 165 degrees, but that outside surface is now at 110 because it's cooled off that quick. So you need to let that inside and outside equal out a lot more. Okay. Now, how do you do that? It's just time. It takes time. Um, take it out of the au jus and let it start cooling. Set it on a cutting board. Let it start cooling. Now, the proper temperature, there's not a proper temperature. It's just when they are the same or as close to the same. And this is why it's important. Let's what what you're trying to do is not allow the the juices, your extra flavor, your your mouth texture to come out. Have you ever sliced a brisket or ever sliced a steak? You cut that steak or that that brisket up or start to slice it, and all of a sudden all these juices start running out. And before you're done, your cutting table or cutting surface is just full of the juices you cut it when it was way too hot okay let's pretend that that is a water product okay and that water is trying to stay alive inside that meat okay and i if you've listened to me before you'll understand this i always like to wrap my briskets when it's at 155 degrees internal temperature and the reason so is moisture starts dissipating on the inside the meat structure in the meat cells at 150 degrees okay so for that moisture to stay alive and to stay present in in the present state and, and and in that muscle it has to start concentrating to the middle of that brisket okay so that outside surface will start to dry and that's the moisture let's say dying for lack of better words it's it's dying on that outside surface so as it as it starts to heat up that moisture dissipates from the meat as it's dissipating it's also trying to concentrate to the center to stay alive now, fast forward, you go through this whole cook. So the quicker you can get it through the cook, it'll save a lot more of that moisture. And that's how it stays juicy. I'm not talking about grease. I'm talking about moisture. Grease is a whole nother uh, uh, podcast. 
Okay, I'm talking about moisture in the meat, the meat itself, the muscle fibers, the 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 texture that we're trying to salvage. It's completely cooked. We've set it in a camera, in a towel. It's 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 done its resting. We've let it rest its two or three hours, and we need to slice it. Now we set it out, and as we slice that brisket, now where is the coolest spot on that meat? It is that open surface, that open face of that brisket is now the coolest spot. If that inside of that brisket still at 170 and you cut that face and it slams real quick down to 100 degrees, what's going to happen to that juice? It's trying to stay alive. So it's going to rush to that coolest spot to stay alive. And that's how, that's why, that's how come it starts flushing out of your meat. So if you can get the meat and the outside surface as close to the same surface or as the same temperature, that's when your juices won't flow out of your meat. We have always been told, well, I just want the juices to distribute throughout. Well, that's that's what it's doing in this. It's distributing throughout the meat. But when you cut that face, it's now cool. So that's what's going to happen is it's going to then flow to that spot. So keep that in mind. That is the correct answer for when is the proper time to slice my brisket. Not when is the best time or the correct time, but proper time. I hope that that makes sense to everyone. I don't know of any other way to describe it or to go over exactly what I'm talking about through a through an audio podcast. Um, maybe someday we can get into the video world. It's just that this is a little simpler for me to do. Once again, if you have any questions or something you want me to go over on a podcast, just shoot me a message. Um, I'm easy to get a hold of. You can follow us on our uh, YouTube. You can follow us on the uh, Facebook page. It's all under Butcher Barbecue. Shoot me a message if you got my phone number. I have no problem with that. Give me a question that way. I really want everyone to subscribe to our podcast here. That way they are notified when we get new ones presented or, or published out there. Um that's really about all I got for this um, episode. I'm going to go pack my bags and head to Tennessee. Everyone take care, and I appreciate you listening. Smash that subscribe button and be ready for Butcher's next podcast. <laughs>